friend and welcome to the Ayurveda and Psychology podcast. I am Charlotte Skogsberg, your host for this podcast. I am enchanted to meet and to take you with me on this journey into the human psyche viewed from the holistic approach of yoga and Ayurveda and viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat, or go out for a nice walk in nature, maybe. Enjoy. In this episode that focuses on Ayurveda, I want to continue on what I spoke about last week, which is loneliness. And I want to build on this idea that loneliness is a state of mind, right? Um, As I then bring the Ayurvedic perspective of healing into this. So if we can establish and agree on the fact that feeling lonely is not necessarily purely linked to what is going on outside of us, as in actually being isolated or alone, but it is more a question of how we perceive ourselves in life at that moment. Because we can all agree, I think, on the fact that you can feel lonely when you are alone physically, and you can feel lonely when you're not alone physically, (laughs) something that we might even be experiencing in times of Christmas and New Year's, for instance. We can also feel absolutely not alone when we are on our own, so that the presence of another human being might not necessarily be the reason of our feeling of loneliness. So we've established that, and we've established as well that Loneliness, when it's the state of mind, can be traced into an activity that is going on in our brain during the phases of feeling lonely. And I've spoken about the default mode network. And the default mode network is very active when we are feeling lonely. The same way that it's very active when we're feeling anxious and depressed, when we're feeling Well, when we're experiencing symptoms of ADHD or attention deficit. And so one of the key points linked to the default mode network and loneliness is therefore that it is a similar process to anxiety, to habit and to addiction because it switches on as well by cravings. And so when I say by cravings is that when there is something that is reminding me of what I am feeling, it will actually activate the default mode network, which is why we also call it the craving mind. So I took the example of when you're hungry, and if you would draw a sandwich, it will, well, obviously not help your hunger, and it might even make you even more hungry because you are aware of the gap between the reality and what you're experiencing, which is also therefore something that is going on inside of us. So we could 
address the feeling of loneliness from the brain structural activity and we can also link it and approach loneliness from an even more sensitive point which is the fact that we are social beings and that loneliness triggers shame inside of us which is why we mainly don't really want to talk about feeling lonely. We don't want to let other people know maybe even that we are lonely. Because of course, who would be lonely? Well, it would be a person who is isolated. And if they're isolated, there is potentially something wrong with them. So I want to speak about loneliness from these two perspectives as a way to deal with it, to understand it, and to destigmatize it without it having to be, oh, well, just reach out to the people around you. Because actually, when you're feeling lonely, your perception of the world is narrowed down to the fact that there's no one there to reach out to. So it's not necessarily helpful to give that advice, right? And instead, we want to approach the state of mind of loneliness from how can I switch what's going on in the brain and how can I reverse this feeling of shame. I'm taking a couple of seconds away from the episode just to bring your attention towards my program Nourish, Balance, Thrive. It's the eight-week online program finding balance again through the help of Ayurveda and psychology. We will start a new round in the new year and if you want to find balance in your physical body, in your mind and in your heart through the natural way by tuning into the law of nature, maybe dealing with things such as chronic inflammation or fatigue, things like insulin resistance or attention deficit, or even just feeling better in your body and in your mind, then this program is for you. I've created this program in a dynamic that there's individual work for every person, but also group dynamic with weekly calls and of course interactions with me on a daily basis. It's been created as well in a way that you should be able to maintain your daily activities all the while we're having the program going in the background so that you can definitely implement the new habits and see the results while you're still maintaining, of course, the life that you are living as well. Do reach out if you want more information. You can simply email me and you find all the information in the show notes of the episode. Because right now as well, the program is at the lowest price that it will ever have. So don't wait. Reach out today. Get more information on the program. Get in touch with me and make sure that it meets your needs. It is a little bit this difference that I like to make between me as a psychologist and therefore psychotherapy and coaching someone. There is a supporting the state that you are in without trying to make you change and trying to improve someone. So instead dealing with what is going on, what is your situation 
and how can I deal with that in order to not be in that state instead of saying, oh, you need to improve by, you know, socialize more because we're also in a world, of course, where we get burnt out of the constant stimulation of social media and therefore other people's activities. I was listening to a researcher on the topic of the broken brain, which is, let's say, the the baseline of this default mode network being constantly active, right? It's also what we call the broken brain. So therefore, we find one of the keys to loneliness. And this researcher was talking about four pillars that are necessary for a healthy mind. So to step out of the broken brain, if you will. And it doesn't take much of each and one of the pillars in order to activate them. And the four pillars from his perspective are awareness, connection, insight and purpose. When we speak about awareness, what he means is our capacity to focus our attention, to resist distraction and also what we could call meta-awareness. And meta-awareness is being aware of what your mind is doing. Awareness, therefore, is when we are mindful, right? So it's completely, therefore, linked to this idea of the default mode network because what we came to establish when I've spoken about that before is that we bring the activity of that structure down when we are practicing mindfulness because we are no longer wandering off or worrying about the future or the past but we are in the present moment because we are directing our attention with intention. The meta-awareness, as in being aware of where your awareness lies, is very much what we practice in meditation. The most simple forms of meditation that would just be sit and focus on your breath, which is what I do and what I invite everyone to do when they meditate, right? The more we simplify what we do, the more we're actually achieving what it is that we're aiming for. We're not caught up in trying to improve something or trying hard to do something. And so when we do this, just sitting, observing our breath, we become very quickly aware of when we're not focusing on the breath anymore and that the mind wanders off. And when we realize that the mind wanders off, this is exactly what the meta-awareness is. We are aware of that and without frustration, we gently bring it back again. It's just the, the, the role of the game, right? It's the rules of what we're playing when we're meditating. It's the, oh, I'm aware that I'm not on my breath anymore, so I bring it back again. So this is how we increase awareness. It is by practicing mindfulness and meta-awareness. Mindfulness is something that we practice when we have our rituals, that we also call routines. A ritual is therefore something where we are very mindful and aware of what we're doing, that we repeat every morning in the same way with a goal, with an intention, and then reculting. Actually, that was, we're receiving, we're getting the fruits of our work because we're receiving the results of our ritual, of our routine quite quickly afterwards because we're just feeling more present and we're feeling ready to face today. The second pillar that he mentions is connection. So obviously, as I speak of connection, that will make most of us go, well, there you go. Now we're back into this idea of 
feeling lonely and people telling us connect with others and then that just seems completely far-fetched in that moment. Yes and no. Connection means to nurture relationships, right? To nurture the sensations, the feelings that we experience when we have harmonious relationships with others, which, by the way, does not necessarily need to be human beings. And what are the feelings, the emotions that we're experiencing when we are connecting with other people, when we nurture the relationships of the harmonious ones that we have? Well, there are things like appreciation, of kindness, of gratefulness, right? gratitude. And is there a way that we can cultivate those exact emotions on our own? Of course there is. So one of the first things that we need to understand when we speak about cultivating certain emotional states is that whatever you are feeling in any time, any given point in life, it is a chemical reaction that happens in your brain that you are making happen. Naturally, we link this state to what triggers it. So that means a certain person or it means a certain situation or a place or a smell or whatever it might be. Yet the experience, the reaction, the chemical reaction is actually something you're making. It is something that happens in your brain. This chemical that we have, this hormone that we have that is called oxytocin, right, that many of us know of, it's called as the cuddle hormone or the kissing or whatever, what we feel when we're connecting. And that absolutely is not happening only when we're connecting with other human beings. When you're patting a cat or a dog or something, you're also experiencing this. And they are. This is why they're purring as a cat, for instance, or why they're, you know, swaying their, way, wagging their um, tail when they're happy to see us. It's, it's the same kind of reaction. And so when we are releasing oxytocin inside of us, we are capable of experiencing, creating that emotional reaction of the appreciation or the gratitude or kindness. And so we can do this on our own, actually, when we, when we, meditate, when we practice a gentle physical practice like yoga, for instance, we are actually enhancing the release of oxytocin inside of us, which is why at the end of this practice, or for instance, while we're meditating even, if it's a successful one, let's say, we feel it, like we feel good, right? We feel a positive, relaxing sensation. That is oxytocin being released. And so in that moment, we can therefore choose to even bring into our meditation, as an object of meditation, the feeling of appreciation or the feeling of kindness. Depending on where we're at with ourselves in our meditative practice or yogic practice or even a walk in, the, in nature, we might have even come as far as being able to feel when we're in that state, when we're really in a state of meditation, the connection to just the universe at large or to nature around us or to everything that's going on. We might even feel ourselves expanding outside of our skin. Of course, in the beginning when you're meditating, this might seem 
absolutely not accessible. But the more you practice, the stronger that capacity becomes. And you actually will have moments where you experience this. And it only takes one moment of experiencing it to build up that trust that you're capable of doing it. That in itself, what I just said there, is actually called procedural procedural learning. We learn through the experience and then neuroplasticity begins to happen and rewires our brain. And all of a sudden, it's easier for us to do it again and again. Now, what this does is that when you, therefore, begin to practice things that increases your capacity to connect to feeling of appreciation, kindness, compassion, these kind of things, because you are releasing more oxytocin in your body, that is also in itself neuroplasticity at work. So your neuropathways are getting stronger because, for instance, let's say that you've made that into a ritual, that is your routine in the morning of meditative practice, of journaling, of yoga practice, for instance, you're making that neuropathway stronger and stronger so that not only will you make it easier to feel that outside of the mat, so in the rest of your day when you need to, but you will even actually look forward to that moment every morning when you wake up and maybe even in the evening as you go to bed. If you look forward to that as you prepare yourself for going to bed, you're already bringing your default mode network into a more calm state because you're excited about something to come in the morning. And it has been shown that people who are feeling lonely have higher levels of stress hormones, cortisol. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, I think, by now. And those will naturally be enhanced in the evening if you're already in this state of loneliness in your mind. So if you have something that you look forward to in the morning, now ask a surfer how they feel about going. And that know that they're going to go surfing in the morning. This is the reason that they're capable of saying no to seeing friends, for instance, going out in the night because they know that they have um, an appointment with the waves in the morning. For sure, as a surfer, they are completely in that feeling of all those positive emotions already in the evening when they prepare themselves as they go to bed. As a yogi, that's absolutely the case. Why do people get so addicted to Ashtanga yoga? Huh? It's, of course, because there's this like feeling state that they're in when they've been practicing that they remember they remember it so strongly that in the evening when they prepare themselves to go to bed, it's perfectly fine to go to bed really early so that they know that they'll be really up early in the morning and they're feeling good and refreshed so that they can go back to practice again. And all of a sudden, their priorities of if going out in the evening or not has completely shifted. Things for people who have not at all been in those kind of cycles in their brain don't see. They see it as, oh, you're giving up on something, which the surfer or the yogi, for instance, do not see at all, right? So all of a sudden there, the neuroplasticity has absolutely happened. Nurturing, harmonious relationships, experiencing appreciation, kindness, compassion, loving, right? 
inside. So how do we connect to inside? Well, insight is realizing the narrative that we have and then changing the relationship we have to the narrative. It's not about changing the narrative. It's about changing how we relate ourselves to it. And this is, of course, what your meditation is doing. And this is, of course, what happens when you begin to shift into this idea that I've spoken about before that naturally begins to occur when we take the path of yoga, meditation, Ayurveda. Maybe my thoughts feel very real, but it doesn't mean that they are true. Maybe I don't have to believe my thoughts all the time. And that is what insight is. And then finally, this researcher was talking about purpose as well. Purpose is not linked to what kind of job you have, okay? Purpose is taking small stuff that you do every day all around and then bring meaning into them. That is what purpose is. So can you live in a way where sweeping the floor, cleaning your house is purposeful for you? Can you live a life where taking out the trash belongs to having a purpose? And of course, for someone who has never even thought about the idea of creating a ritual for yourself, which means a very different way from just unconscious behavior that we repeat, but consciously, mindfully doing something every day with a beginning and an end, with an intention, and with a direct feedback because we notice how we feel afterwards, basically putting ourselves into a bit of that flow state, right? which is much more creative, much more meaningful. If you've never done that, sure enough, the idea of taking out the trash with purpose feels very foreign. But if you begin by creating a ritual in the morning that becomes your personal routine of well-being, of self-care, that is your purpose already there. And just like all those other things that I've been mentioning, so just the four pillars there, the awareness, the connection, the insight, it is through neuroplasticity that we begin to heal the broken brain into a healthy mind again. And that happens when we create a ritual that becomes our routine and that we use that beautiful ancient tradition of Ayurveda that simply says to us, stop fighting, stop resisting so much, align with the law of nature, develop the insight of self-knowledge of your personal tendencies, bring a light quality into your life instead of pushing yourself or gaslighting yourself into not doing things. 
taking responsibility for who you are. Because you can read about what you need to do so many times and that is not going to actually change your mindset, your brain's state of being. It is only when you begin to practice, to experience things that you have read about, that you have understood, that someone has told you that you will begin to rewire your brain and to heal the broken brain. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your earpods, of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste.